Oh my God, I'm chilling. What happened? Oh my God. Oh, I just can't. What? Hello, everyone. We're back. We're back and better than ever. Yeah, y'all, yeah, I'm sorry. We really did not want to do that, but it, it was just going to be too rushed and the holidays and, you know. And then I got sick. School, and, Rebecca yeah. got, got sick. The we whole... don't want to skimp on quality. These stories take a lot of work and we were at full capacity, unfortunately, this past week, but um, we're back. We're better than ever. We're back. We're better than ever. And that's the one, the literally the one good thing about not being a part of a network yet is we can be a little nimble if we feel like we need to be, you know? Oh, yeah. So if we join a network, you can't be? Well, I'm sure they're like, they'd be like, no, you're not skipping a week. But oh. it would be a full-time job. So I oh. guess we wouldn't really have an excuse to. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Give and take. Thanks for y'all's patience. Sorry, we really try to avoid that. And for the most part, we have, but it just was impossible. Okay, Patreon shout-outs. Lucy, Daniel, Kim, Francesca, Jenny, Judith, Elaine, Becky, Jessica, Jessica, there's two, Allison, Kim, Kim, Sydney, and Tatum, and Denise. I'm sorry. Good God. Thanks for joining, everyone. Thanks. Y'all rock. Um, speaking of Patreon, just... I know I already wrote this on our um, Patreon, but our printer won't print our notebooks anymore because they promote violence. <laughs> Y'all, the notebooks say, if you go to our website, you can see them. They say people want to punch in the face, but it's, you know, it's tiny cheek. It's fun. And we didn't make it up. That's already out there. That is already out there. And this would have been like our fifth order. I don't know why it's a problem now, but they're like, no, we really can't print that. So we're going to ditch the notebooks anyway. I think we're probably going to do stickers because, man, we have gotten a lot of requests for stickers. Now, will there be stickers that you like uh, that go on your laptop, your bumper stickers? Like, what? no, I don't know. Yeah, maybe laptop, maybe water bottle, like whatever you mm -hmm. can stick stickers to. Right. You know, I get it. Okay. I'll look too. I'm not pinning this all on you. Just got to set a reminder for things because I am foggy i know um so yeah if you've recently joined and you haven't gotten your email about your gift shipping it's gonna be different than the note the notebooks are gone all right now i have three quick custom shout outs the first one is from ashley i'm a rep for pampered chef yes it's a little mlm vibes which is multi-level marketing <laughs> you know oh. pyramidy but pyramidy but the products are quality she says I created a special link for specifically your listeners. Anyone that uses it will also get a special gift from me as well. I'll have the link on my other page for those who want to just click, but it's her handle, I believe on Instagram, is at pampered underscore by underscore Ashley. The link is pamperedchef.com slash party slash people are the worst. Nice. I love it. Okay. Second one is from Daniel. Happy belated birthday, Claire. He said... Although people are the worst, she is the best, and I love her so much, and I can't wait for many more years together. Aww. That is so nice. That is Just, sweet. His girlfriend, for her birthday, belated, especially now that we skipped a week. Sorry, Daniel. Happy belated birthday, Claire. Happy Give belated birthday. Oh, my God. They're going to be listening to this episode for the first time together. She has no idea, I think. Oh, good. Claire, yeah, surprise. Give, surprise. Give them a little extra loving tonight, you know? 
Maybe a little rub, rub, rub under the table. <laughs> Maybe a little tug under the table. You don't know. A little tickle the pickle. A little tickle the pickle. You're welcome, Daniel. Happy birthday, Claire. Great. And I'm sorry to put you in that position. <laughs> All right. The last one is shout out from Rachel. This is also so nice. I like to shout out my mom's business, Assisted Living Locators. The holidays can be tough for people with aging parents, and she helps families find facilities for their loved ones that are safe, meet their unique health needs, and budget. She's even a memory care specialist. Better yet, her service is a free resource to families. She owns the Los Angeles locations, location, but there are locations all over the country for anyone looking for resources for their aging parent. My mom is so passionate about what she does help, helping others. You can find her and her amazing team. Shout out Laura and April at assistedlivinglocators.com or email her directly at Sarah O, Sarah's with an H, Sarah O at assistedlivinglocators.com. Love that. That's so good. Yeah. All right. Now I want to hear this damn story. All right, chill. All right. I'm telling Rebecca and y'all about Karen Gregory. Sources are the case file oxygen.com, tampabay.com, Dr. Todd Grant Grande on YouTube, a Generation Y episode, they killed it, and a little bit from a book called Unanswered Cries by Thomas French. Okay. Karen Gregory was born in Albany, New York in 1948. She was an elementary school teacher, but in 1983, she moved to Pinellas County, Florida and worked as a waitress for a little while, but eventually got a job as a graphic designer. Around that time, she met a man named David Mackey and the two started dating. By 1984, about a year and a half of dating, 36-year-old Karen moved in with David. Okay. They lived in a house in Gulfport, Florida, and they picked this particular neighborhood because it was quiet, safe, and had a neighborhood watch. On May 22nd, 1984, David left to go to Providence, Rhode Island for a work conference. So they said their goodbyes, and the next night on May 23rd, David's trying to get in touch with Karen, but she's not answering. The next morning on May 24th, around 7.30 a.m., he calls her again, ho hoping to catch her before work, but again, not answering. He calls her friends, and none of them have talked to her. It's Thursday, so he calls her work, and her boss said that she wasn't there and no one had talked to her, and even more alarming, she missed work the day before. And this was a brand new job, so I don't know if they just didn't know her well enough to know that she wasn't being flaky and, like, something is clearly wrong. Yeah. But... She just missed work and they didn't tell anyone. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. So now David's freaking out and calls their neighbor, Amy Bressler, and asks her to go check on Karen. Amy says, sure. She knocks on the door and nobody answers. So she peeks into the window and sees Karen lying in a pool of blood. Oof. She runs back to her house and she had just put like the phone down. David was just on hold. So she picks it oh, back shit. up and she tells him it's bad. She needs to call 911. Oh my God. The cops get there at 8.39 a.m. and they immediately, sadly, pronounce her dead. She was wearing a black teddy top over a white t-shirt and it was open. If you don't know what a teddy is, it's lingerie. So you wouldn't normally have it over a t-shirt. Yeah. And she was naked from the waist down. A window by the front door had been busted and the glass was all shattered on the outside. And there was blood in the bedroom and chunks of hair. So they believe someone came in, attacked her in the bedroom, forced her to put on the teddy. She oh. ran to escape and he grabbed her by the hair. They ended up in the living room and she escaped through the window, busting through it from the inside oh. to the out. And he dragged her back in. <gasps> oh. So there was a huge struggle and she fought her ass off. Oh. 
Yeah. And sad. She was stabbed over 20 times. Her throat was slit and she had been raped. Damn. There was no forced entry. So she either let the attacker in, probably knew him, or they had a key. They found a smeared bloody footprint and she had no blood on the bottom of her feet. So that was their first real clue. And when I say a bloody footprint, I don't mean shoe print, a bare ass foot. Oh, perfect. I know. There was also a bloody handprint on her thigh with the fingers pointed up. So given that he was clearly not wearing gloves or shoes or socks, they're thinking it was a crime of opportunity and likely not planned. They spoke to every neighbor within a two block radius of Karen's house and over a dozen of them said that around 1.15 a.m. on May 23rd, they heard a scream, but they didn't call the police. None of them. Yeah, we hear that a lot, unfortunately. It's the... um... It's the bystander mentality. Everyone who hears a scream or something thinks someone else will call the cops. Yeah. Well, and a lot of them said they didn't know where it came from. They didn't hear anything right after it. Like yeah. some neighbors went outside to to see what else they could hear and nothing uh, would happen. So they just. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then, and then others wanted to mind their business is what they said. I'm sure they did. Mm-hmm. Among the neighbors was George Lewis, who the investigator, Larry Tossi, was good friends with because George was a firefighter and the head of Neighborhood Watch. This is just a sad tidbit, but I've loved it so much. Their wives, the investigator and George Lewis's wives, worked together, and Detective Tossi officiated George's wedding to his then-girlfriend, now-wife, Glenda, and the ceremony took place in the bucket of a fire truck. Oh. Just the three of them up on a bucket extended... Doing I love it. Isn't that, I just, I laughed for some reason. It really Tussie's the me neighborhood watch guy? No, George Lewis is the neighborhood oh. watch guy. Larry Tossie is the investigator. Oh, okay. Assigned to Karen's murder. Got it. So they're friends. Okay. So George lived in the neighborhood and he lived across the street and he was working on his car in the garage, which he did a lot late at night with the radio on. And he said he also heard like a faint scream. So he walked out to the street and looked around but didn't see anything. He even walked around the neighborhood looking in between cars and the driveway and didn't see anything. So he just went back to working on his car. He is very attentive as the head of Neighborhood Watch because he said earlier that day, he noticed two men that he didn't recognize on bikes, which wasn't that suspicious, but he got a little suspicious when he saw them again at 11 p.m. Hmm. Okay. Nothing really comes from that, but also the night she was killed, he saw a car pull up to Karen's house and a man got out, knocked on the door. There was no answer. So he walked up to one of the cars and left a note. The investigators actually already knew what he was talking about because they found a note on the windshield of one of the cars in the driveway. It said, Karen and David, hello, stopped by about 7.15 or so, but saw no signs of life, Peter. Weird choice of words. Yeah. And who did that come from? Peter. Oh, so that, it's Peter, y'all. It's Peter. Classic. So they start looking for this Peter guy, and ironically, he ends up finding them. You see, someone had to identify Karen's body, so her old roommate, Anita, showed up to do it, and she brought a friend with her named Peter Cumble. Ooh. So they were like, oh, any chance you're the Peter who left a note on the car? And he's like, yep. Oh, my God. He said he went by the house around 7.30 p.m. because Karen invited him over for dinner, And he needed to return tape or records. Two sources said two different things. At at first, I was like, no one returns tape. But then I'm I'm thinking maybe cassette tapes. Oh, okay. Doesn't matter. But I was like, Scotch tape. I need that duct tape back. All right. (laughs) 
He said nobody answered, so he left the note, and he didn't notice anything amiss. There was no broken glass or anything, which is not surprising considering he was there around 7.15, 7.30, and the scream was heard just after 1 a.m. So oh. there probably wasn't anything amiss. Oh, okay. They huh. noticed- And now oh, he's there to identify her body, or to help identify her body. Yeah. Oof. They notice a large scratch on his hand when they're questioning him. And when he sees them looking at it, he immediately puts his hand under the table and says, a dog scratched me. <gasps> and they're like, mm, okay. Okay. Put your hand where I can see it, please. Right. They asked him to give fingerprints and footprints, palm prints, the whole nine, which he did. So he was free to go, but he was not at all cleared. Uh-huh. No, I'm sure he's not. No. Back at the crime scene, they search the house and find a newspaper from Providence, Rhode Island, dated May 23rd. Remember, oh. David left for Providence May 22nd and was there until Karen's body was found on May 24th. So now they're thinking maybe David actually got back in town the day before. Otherwise, how did a Providence yeah. newspaper from May 23rd get there? Yeah. Okay. Well, Karen's funeral was in Albany, where she's from. So David went out there for it and didn't come back for two and a half weeks. So finally, when he gets back, he sits down with police. They said he appeared to be very upset and Detective Tossie asked him about his relationship with Karen. David said it was great, everything was fine. And Tossie tells him that that's not what her brother said. Oh, Karen's bro, let's hear it. Yeah, they had spoken to Karen's brother, Roy, and he said that there may have been issues. At one point, Karen was interested in, in another guy, so there was definitely tension over that. Mm-hmm. Also, before she met David, she had plans to move to Jamaica. She just like loved island life. She Good was for into her. it. Loved it. That's the dream. Totally. Good for her. But she met David and had to make a decision between him and her island life. And island she picked... life. <laughs> I know. She picked him and Roy thought there may be some resentment there. Sure. She dreamed of that. Yeah. But David's like, no, that's false. We were fine. Everything was fine. They asked him about the Providence newspaper that they found, and he said he bought it at a newsstand in Gulfport the day before his trip so he could get the weather forecast in Providence. But it's dated the 23rd, and he left. So he's saying he got the 21st mm -hmm. the day before he left on the 22nd. And, it's, and it was dated the 23rd. Yep. That, no. We'll get there. Okay. But that's not how things work. Okay. I know. They straight up ask him if he killed her. And he got pissed, said no way, but he thinks they need to look at Peter Cumble, the one who left the, the note. Oh, sure. David said Peter has been very interested in Karen and was trying to get closer to her. They told him that they were talking to Peter and Peter was supposed to go over there for dinner that night. And that really upset David because he had no idea that she invited him over while he was away. Uh, yeah, he did not like that one bit. I'm sure. They walked through the house with David and asked him to make note of anything missing. The only thing he noticed was that a white teddy that Karen had just bought was not there. Mm, which they already knew, obviously. No, she was wearing a black teddy. This oh, was a, I'm so sorry. Teddy's this, everywhere. I know. Lingerie everywhere. There was, this was a white one. Oh, okay. But, Pardon but me. She, yeah, she had just bought it, so he just remembered it, and he was like, it's gone. They also found a drawing of a clock with what looks like blood on it, and the drawing was signed by Stephen Fischler who was one of Karen's co-workers. Oy vey. They talked to the other co-workers and they all said that Stephen was the office creep who did things like show them porn and make sexual advances, all of which made them and Karen very uncomfortable. Oh, sure. 
That's everyone. Obviously. There's always an office creep. Always. But Sometimes there's a bunch. There's a bunch of them. Uh, but he's the one who drew the clock. Yeah. I wonder why. He's uh, like, time to party. Like, <laughs> time yeah. to get naked. Yes. I don't know. They're graphic designers. So maybe he was like trying something for a client. I don't know. Maybe it okay. was. Maybe it was time to party. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. <sighs> this is really going to get you. Once one of my old bosses, actually, he was showing me something on his phone, maybe the time during a work thing. And there was a, his background was a naked woman. Ew. What? It was so, I was like, I, I kind of think I remember you telling me that it was so was it like a she was painted it was bare boobs but she had a superman s on her chest oh my god that is so cheesy was it someone he knew or like a no no it was like profesh. professional oh my god did you address it no I didn't address it because I was I, what, what was I 25 I don't know I was intimidating stupid now I'd be like you're a sick fuck anyway but this is really going to get you about Steven. He also had given Karen a pornographic novel he was writing. No. This for, creepy for, coworker, Steven? Yeah. No. Can you imagine? I would just keep, I would obviously not read it, but I guess he's looking for notes. I would just keep coming back with being like, you could take it farther. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why are you holding back so much? It's too safe. Here. It's safe. I think you could go a little more graphic. <laughs> Ooh, no, really turn them on. Ew. That is like, okay. Okay, Steven. Slow your roll. For real. So they bring Steven in for questioning. He's very short with them, very defensive. He says he really didn't even know Karen that well, and he has no idea how she has that drawing. Mm. They tell him that they know he's the office creep, and he's like, <laughs> really? Polygraph me. They know. We know you're the office scumbag. Yeah. So. You're the perv who everyone avoids. Yeah, that's your so superlative. He said, polygraph me. They said, great. So they're going, he's hooked up to a polygraph. They're going through questions. And in the middle, he yells, okay, I did it. What? Then he immediately recanted it, saying he did it out of frustration. The fuck? What? I never admit to murder when I'm frustrated. I mean. I've never done that once. And the first questioning, like, what could it have been going on during that polygraph exam. Yeah, why are like, you I don't, so frustrated? He just got flustered and yelled it and then was like, never mind. I don't know why I said that I was frustrated. This was all while he was hooked up to the polygraph machine and he passes. <gasps> Which can more so tell you how unreliable polygraphs can be. If he gets frustrated and says he did, did it, was apparently lying and he passes, or uh, uh-huh. does it mean that he was telling the truth when he said he did it? And that's why he passes. We'll see, but that's weird. That is weird. Especially it's measuring like blood pressure and all yeah, that. You're that's so saying. frustrated yeah. that you blurt that out, whether you're lying or not. It, I don't know. He passed. I guess frustration but, is, that means your frustrated blood levels. That's your baseline. <laughs> probably. Always frustrated. But this is why polygraphs are not, are inadmissible. In right. Court. No, like, I know. You know, doesn't mean shit, but we'll see if his does. He refuses to give a footprint, fingerprint, palm print. So the detectives send the drawing they found, the clock drawing, to the lab to see if it's actually blood on it. Because remember, there was something that they thought was blood. Yeah. And it turns out to be ketchup, which is also disgusting. That is disgusting. But this doesn't clear Stephen. It just adds to their suspect list, which is now him, David, and Peter. Mm -hmm. 
but the case stalls because there's really not enough evidence to arrest any of them. The bloody footprint and the handprint were really smeared. Mm -hmm. So it, tur it turns out really hard to match them to anyone. There's no DNA at the time. So months go by and there's really nothing they can do but keep questioning everyone. And looking at David again, they know that he gave a presentation at the conference in Providence at 9 a.m. on May 23rd. Okay. Which is, which is eight hours after Karen was murdered. So if he did it, he would have had to go to Rhode Island on May 22nd, come back, kill Karen, and get back to Rhode Island in time for the presentation. Right. Detective Tossi wanted to see if that was even possible, so he books the flight. He oh does the whole God. scenario, and he, he, did, he, he could do it. He did it. David's credit card showed that he only bought one flight to Rhode Island. That scenario was would have been two, mm -hmm. but he could have bought one with cash. Yeah. Free and clear. Right. No record. Right. They went to the newsstand where he said he bought that Providence newspaper and the actual cashier was still was working. She oh. remembered him. She said that they did sell it there and they got the May 23rd paper early, which is so weird that he bought it May 21st and they already had the the newspaper that was dated May 23rd. Oh I don't God. know why you would do that in the newspaper business. Something big could have happened May 22nd. You're just going to miss it. That's what I was about to say. I thought newspapers were printed like 4 a.m. day of. They usually are. I don't know what the scenario is That is, is here, so crazy. What they didn't like, though, is that the reason he bought it was for the weather forecast. The weather forecast said it was going to rain the whole time he was there, yet he didn't take his umbrella. Just a little tidbit. Eh. I probably yeah. wouldn't. It'd, it'd be worth buying an umbrella there than hauling one there. I don't know. That doesn't bother me. True. David took a polygraph and he passed. Okay. Now they're back looking at Peter. They bring him in again. And this time he says that he actually did see broken glass when he went to Karen's store. So now he's changing his story. Oh. They ask straight up, did you kill Karen? And he gets all mad. No way. He's shocked. They even asked the whole nine. Are you, you're shocked? You put a foreshadowing note on her car. No sign of life. No sign of life. Love. So interesting. Peter. In December 1984, about seven months after Karen's murder, an officer who worked with Detective Tossie was at a farewell party for a city manager and sparked up a conversation with a woman who lived three blocks from Karen. Remember, the cops talked to everyone in a two block radius, so they never talked to this woman. Oh, okay. She told that officer that the night Karen was murdered, she heard a long blood curdling scream around 1 a.m. And she even said, I heard it very well. Oh. In fact, the book Unanswered Cries that I cited, I mean, that I sourced at the beginning, one of the neighbors that talked to the author said that after she heard the scream, scream she thought to herself, that girl does not smoke because her lungs are incredible. <gasps> That's how loud it was. It woke some neighbors up. And no one called the police. Nope. Blood curdling. If I get, if something is described as blood curdling, I hope to God I will just call the police. I mean, yeah. Better safe than sorry. So scream loud blood curdling. The cop she's talking to is like, that's so weird because we were told it was a faint scream. So they start talking to everyone all over again. During which a neighbor named Tanya came forward and said she was having an affair with a married man. And during the summer of 1984, he gave her a white teddy as a birthday gift. She gave it to police who showed it to David. And David said it looked exactly like the one Karen had. Oh and it was missing from his house. So they're like, okay, Tanya, who's your married boyfriend? George Lewis. The, the firefighter and the neighborhood watch dude. Also Detective Tossie's best friend. 
Oh, is she talking to De Detective Tossie right now? Yeah, I think so. Oh my God. He's There's like, a team, but he's the main one. I think she was. Oh my God. He's like, fucking A, Tanya. God damn it, Tanya. Now you've put me and, in a pickle. Oh no. I really hate to inform you all of this too, but that gift for of the Teddy was for Tanya's 17th birthday. <gasps> he was 22 at the time and he was having sex with a 16 year old and gave her lingerie for her 17th birthday. <gasps> Ew. As they talked to more neighbors, a lot of the women are telling him about some night prowler creep peeping Tom piece of shit. Since this was happening at night, though, most of them couldn't give a good description, but one woman knew exactly who it was. She walked in, up to the window and he ran off and she said it was George Lewis. Oh, they asked the him detective's best friend. Yeah, he's some pedophile peeping Tom and he's best friends with detective. That doesn't that does not look make Tussle look good at all. Tossie, Tossie, whatever. They asked George about this, about the prowling, and he said he wasn't prowling. He's it's just part of his neighborhood watch duties. It sure isn't looking in women's windows. No, I mean they're safe at home. What are you watching? Right, what's wrong? Nope, that's above your pay grade, oh. sir. So these revelations are all happening over the span of months, almost a year after Karen's murder. In March 1985, they brought George back in, and they're like, "Tell us again what you heard." He says a faint scream and when he went to investigate he saw a man about six foot or six foot four somewhere in between with red hair and a beard in karen's front yard and they're like wait a minute what you never said you saw anyone this is brand new this is he was working on the car right and went yeah even walked down the street looked in between cars mm -hmm. didn't notice a man in the front yard till just now did ya or right didn't remember a man in the front yard did ya Right, at 1 a.m. Mm -hmm. They thought it was very interesting that George got that good of a look, could provide that good of a description from across the street when it was dark outside. So they reenacted it. Same time of night, from the same distance that he described, a detective that George knew named William Brinkworth stood in Karen's yard and George stood in his and they said, who is that? And he couldn't identify him and they knew each other. Oh my God. So Detective Tossie is like, dude tell me the damn truth yeah and george says that he actually did walk right up to the man and the guy threatened him and he was scared for his wife and now their new little baby so that's he left that part out no your best friend's a detective you could it'd be fine yeah you just call that you call your bro up and say this yeah. guy threatened me done yeah God. and as head of neighborhood watch detective toss was like you're very quick to call me authorities anything whenever anything yeah. suspicious happens you you're not scared of stuff like that. Right. So that was another thing. He was like, mm. yeah, stop lying. You're embarrassing me. So they're uber suspicious of George, but again, don't have enough to arrest him. In January 1986, now we're, we're starting to push two years after the murder. They decide to send the footprint to the FBI lab because they just cannot make a match with their resources. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they talked to George's first wife, and she tells him that once during an argument, George choked her, and that he also had an obsession with lingerie. Oh, my God. They talked to George's wife, Glenda, his current wife, and she said that the night Karen was murdered, she heard the scream, too, and woke up. She went out to look for George but couldn't find him. She said the garage was open and he wasn't there. 
But a couple minutes later, he came back through the garage door, was normal. He had heard the scream too, and he went to check it out, but didn't see anything. He was not covered in blood. He did not appear to have been in a struggle. He was fine. She would later say that it wasn't actually a couple of minutes. Yeah. It was at least 20 or 30 and that he showered the second he got home. Uh, so I like, was about to say she probably just misremembering that. Oh, poor. Or covering for her husband. She, yeah. So she's kind of discredited because she's like, well, poor he her. did shower. Yeah. I know, it's sad. So they bring George in again on March 7th, 1986. And he has a new change to the story. Oh, good. When he heard the scream, he went up to Karen's window and saw that she was lying in a pool of blood with her throat slit. That's when he turned to get help and saw the man in the yard who threatened him. This is when Detective Tossie's like, F, my best friend is a murderer because with the amount of blood, wounds, disarray, the struggle, everything in the house, there is not a chance in hell you would have known her throat was slit from looking in the window. Oh. When police on the scene didn't even know that until the autopsy came back. There was oh, that shit. much. They couldn't see the throat. Then, yeah. That much blood. So he was like, "There, you did not see that from the window. There's no way. Oh, God. Poor Tossie. The officiant of your wedding. That wedding also murder. happened. I know. That wedding happened seven months after the murder. So like you're just you're investigating and it's him the whole time shit four days later on march 11th 1986 the fbi calls tossie and says they found 30 points of comparisons on the footprint that confirms it belongs to george lewis what was he thinking not wearing gloves or shoes or something crime of opportunity i don't know why are you even walking around in the neighborhood barefoot i mean that's everything's just weird did he use well, her knife no, in the case file, there was something about the mistress, Tanya, recognizing the knife that they thought was used, but oh. it, it gets a little blurry. I don't know. Well, if I, he brought no. a knife, that was not an opportunity. It was always, well, a, that possibility was in the back of his mind. We'll get to the prosecutor's theory. Okay. On March 15th, 1986, again, two years after the murder, almost two years, George is arrested while at work and charged with first degree murder and sexual battery. Was Tossie the one who got to arrest him? No, he sent someone else to do it. Mm. Buffy's and all. A lot of people in the community were outraged. George was very well liked. He had a great reputation. They were certain he was innocent. What? There were like several women came come forward saying he was peeping in their window. I know, but they just, they didn't believe it. He had a, I've read two sources that said he had a sterling reputation. And this is nice for people who thought he was innocent. His coworkers all donated their vacation days when he ran out of his while he was in jail. So his wife and baby could still get his paychecks. Oh, which is nice. Yeah. Sorry. His your child... husband and father's a dirt bag and a murderer. Here's... Yeah. Y'all still deserve to y'all eat. Deserve... Yeah. His trial started in spring of 1987. Prosecutors say that George saw Karen take David to the airport and come home alone. Mm -hmm. They also said it may have been motivated by racism. Karen, who was white, was dating and living with David, who was black. And apparently that was very bothersome to George. Fuck you. And had, had a huge impact on his life. I'm surprised that he didn't say it was a black guy in the yard. Oh, yeah. That he no. saw. That, that's you know always my red flag. That's all I'm yeah. always like, mm, okay, then you did it. And nine, nine, nine out of 10 times they did. You know, what's interesting is the guy with red hair and a red beard that he described very closely matches him. It looks like him. <laughs> he described himself. Oh man. So if that's true, the racism douche douche. 
His defense sticks with the story about the redheaded man. And he, they said that Peter is the real murderer. The redheaded man was his roommate standing lookout outside. They also said that the footprint was bullshit because it was so smeared. There's no way they could have known whose it was. Prosecutors then go back to the scream. People three blo blocks away said it was a blood curdling, long, loud scream. And George, who was right across the street in an open garage, said it was faint. And the night she was murdered, she was murdered a, a little bit after 1 a.m. She had been at a friend's house up until midnight. So if he was actually working on his car and he saw her come home alone, it, pro it may have been a crime of opportunity. He was probably just barefoot in his garage and he just walked over. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe with a knife to threaten her so she would have sex with him or something. Maybe she rejected him. This is all speculation now, but it was discussed in the, in the court. Yeah. I mean, in the trial. June 14th, 1987, George was found guilty for, on first-degree murder and sexual battery. He was sentenced to life in prison. However, a judge overturned the verdict after George's attorney argued that the trial was conducted unfairly and evidence may have been withheld. But the appeals court reinstated it. So, sorry. Yeah. George appealed several times. It was rejected every single time. The Innocence Project of Florida even took on his case after oh. George reached out asking for help. The executive director went to meet him and was struck by how much he did not seem like a murderer. He then studied the case file and became convinced that George was innocent. What? In 2008, the Innocence Project sent DNA evidence to the lab hoping to exonerate him now that we have DNA testing, mm -hmm. but it was inconclusive. So it- Damn it. They couldn't get him. What do you mean? Oh, like, either way. Yeah, to confirm either way, because I hate the idea of someone innocent in jail, but why are they so convinced of that? I don't know. It seems pretty damning. It was inconclusive. They, he was, couldn't be freed mm -hmm. or exonerated, obviously. Um, and in 2015, he died in prison. I'm not really sure how. Oh. He was in his 50s, though. He was young. Yeah. And that's the story of Karen Gregory. Damn. A real whodunit. A real whodunit. But I got to say, at the beginning, when you said the night watchman, you mentioned that the neighborhood was had a night watchman. I had was a like, neighborhood watch. Or a neighborhood watch. Head of it. I yeah. had a feeling it was going to be a night mm. watchman. So I'm like, her boyfriend went out of town and then she gets murdered. She's being watched. And I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like every woman in that neighborhood was being watched. Yeah, it does. That is insane. Is that insane? I so wish I knew more about the Innocence Project thinking that it's not him. I always get stuck on the who else would it be? Right? I get stuck on how much his story changed. Like, what? Tell, say all that in the beginning. Why wouldn't you? Right. You're a first responder. You you know your best friend's the detective. Yeah. What? The mm -hmm. lingerie, the white teddy. Weird. The white teddy. That is a weird coincidence. And uh, I guess you would have to. Well, I wonder if they like could be found. And where do you get this teddy? We'll go confirm it. They tried to confirm where it was bought. They couldn't, even from David. She bought it herself. So they didn't, like, David tried to help figure out where she bought it. He, uh, I mean, but Tanya noted it di It didn't seem like it was bought for her because it was too big. Mm. And remember, she's only a 17-year-old girl. 17. And that right there, I'm like, that's confirmed. He was dating, a, he was having sex with a 16-year-old when he was 22. So his defense argued in court that, the white teddy had nothing to do with it. They couldn't even prove that it was actually Karen's. No one, it was just a way to bring up this salacious affair that had nothing to do with the case. But I'm like, but she was a minor. Was that not a thing? Right. It speaks to character a little bit. Come on. 
He's having sex he's, with a 16 year a child. He's 22 having sex with a 16 year old at the oldest. And buying her lingerie. Like what a sick groomer. Like, ew. I know. And his first wife said he strangled her. He choked her. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. We don't, we just don't believe that. Come on. People really turn a blind eye when he puts on a good front. Give me the break. Yeah. yeah. And when but, a woman said, I saw exactly who was peeking in my window, David Lewis or whatever. George, George Lewis. Lewis. Yeah. I know. Hey, you don't have to yell at me about it. <laughs> well, I already know. Yes, I do. Cause I can't yell at him because he's dead. Yeah. So here's this detective working this case as hard as he can. Like at one point, his supervisor told him he needs to drop it because the footprint was useless and there, it was just unsolvable. And he was like, no, he was heard like talking to Karen out loud while he was going through the files. Like he was determined to do it. And it was his best friend. Oh my God. And the star witness, that was their star witness because they trusted him. Right. Had it, never had watched. He reports everything he sees. Firefighter. Did, why did it come back inconclusive, the DNA? That sucks. After all these years. I know. I don't know. Wow. Poor Karen. I know it. It's really sad. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for next week. Mine is so good next week. <laughs> Rebecca has been talking about this for just, a week now. That's just so a, wow. Y'all are the best. Keep her the worst. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.